0: back. David Penn here. Professor Penn Podcast. A new installment. As always, I want to thank Free People Radio, Free People of America, TireGet.com. That's T-I-R-E-G-E-T.com. All the tires you'll ever need and you fund the movement at the same time. It's a win-win. The Patriot Economy. PrecinctStrategy.com. For a tutorial on how to get into the game of politics and what could be more important today than getting in the game of politics. Started out with a uh, musical interlude. I know that uh, a lot of people don't get their classical mojo on anymore, but I still can, and I hope you, if you haven't discovered classical music, because of its timeless nature, its ability to transport you through time and space. And I know that sounds a little far-fetched, but if you work on it, that was the Beethoven Violin Concerto or more succinctly, the cadenza. And we talked about cadenzas, and I wanted to follow up on that. That is the jazz moment that Beethoven provided in his very famous violin concerto. And this thing is as famous as it gets in the classical music world and in the secret society of music. Whoa. If you can play that Beethoven violin concerto, you're somebody. That was August Hadlick. He was born in Italy to German parents, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on who this guy is. He's, You know, within this secret society of music, there's heroes. This guy is a hero. He can stand up in front of a crowd of people and pull that off, and you got a really good close-up of the intense physicality involved with playing the violin. Now, I know people don't think about it that way, but actually, that's a very physical pursuit. The violinist must hear the sound in his head, and then through a process of physical action, bring it forth into the world for others to share with what's in his head to share it with the world. This is a very complex kind of a very complex kind of activity, and quite frankly it's the kind of thing you learn how to do in a secret society. But it's really no different than learning how to play football or learning how to run a business or learning how to be a father or a mother. Uh, the, The demand that we make on ourselves as human beings has been brought down, brought down to a very low level by our educational system. And really, our educational system could be a secret society where people are actually acculturated into a series of behaviors and skills that bring forth well-being and enhance our society. It's all what we want to do with our time and our, our, our sojourn here on the earth. And right now, of course, we've given up our self-governance to people who want to make us easy to control. How do you make us easy to control? Make us stupid. August Handlick, he gets his way. I'm sure as an artist who can play at that level, He can make his will dominant. He's difficult to deal with, I'm sure. And actually, he's a particularly interesting case because if you notice, he was severely burned and had to undergo over 20 operations to regain functionality. And he still has the courage to stand up in front of thousands of people and display his skill. This guy is interesting. But this is about cadenzas. It's about cadenzas. We're talking about cadenzas. Cadenzas are the ability to stand up in front of people and make it up on the spot like jazz. Now, here's something interesting about this cadenza. He didn't make it up. The guy who made it up is a guy named Fritz Kreisler. Fritz Kreisler was born in Vienna, Austria-Hungary on February 2nd, 1875. This guy ended up living in the United States because actually he was a German Jew and he had a boogity-woogity out of there to survive. So he ended up dying in New York City really not that long ago, 1962. And he was a very famous violin player. And he actually wrote that cadenza. And that means that at a concert, he made it up on the spot. You see, this is an interesting thing about classical music. There's such a premium placed on reproducing the history that oftentimes the performer does not have the ability to create new history on the spot. They've put so much of their time and effort into interpreting what had come before them to maintain those traditions, that when put on the spot, they really don't have that creativity to do it Live in jazz, like an Oscar Peterson. And I think that's a shortcoming of this kind of a musical uh, tradition. But every once in a while, I got got, every once in a while in a generation, there's one or two that show show up in every generation in that previous, well, it's many generations ago. This Fritz Kreutzler actually did this on the spot, jazzed it out, and then wrote it down afterwards for other people to follow in his footsteps. And that's just an incredible kind of a skill. Just incredible. Kreitzler first came to the United States in the early 1900s. He toured, he played. He's really the power behind that cadenza. But you are getting a chance, in my opinion, and I'm getting a chance, and as a former violin player, I sure enjoy it, to watch how skilled this guy is at playing this music. This music's not easy. This is the... Uh, the ability to do this is the result of a lifetime of practice and that's the key that this is why i'm playing this not cuz i really want to show you beethoven although it's a good you know it's a good side benefit the point is the practice the daily practice the daily ritual that generates this kind of virtuosity what are we doing with our time here on this planet and the time is short Short for me, it's short for you, it's over in no oh, snap of a finger. What are we going to do here? Well, the first thing we have to do is choose to what we are going to be loyal to. What set of values and histories are we going to devote ourselves to? Now, of course, we don't make that choice first, we find ourselves in the soup and we have to make it up down the road. But when we get to that moment where we choose, that choosing. That's really the beginning of our life where we give ourselves over. You know, it could be at 50, could be at eight. If the education was good, people would be making this decision very early in their lives. But of course, our education is set up to delay that decision. And my theory of the case is, from the perspective of the people that are running the show, that we never get a chance to make that decision. Because as soon as we make that decision, that we are dedicated to a set of principles, and a history that is far greater than ourselves, we're going to become effective. And as I like to say, we're never too old to grow a set of principles. How important, what could be more important than a set of principles? And I can just share for the people that are are struggling. You know, I've been very fortunate to have a set of principles my whole life. Uh, But my dedication to those principles increases every day with daily practice, daily practice. What are you doing every day? What am I doing every day? What do I do every day repetitively that shapes my character, that, that is determining my future? My daily rituals shape my character, and my character is my destiny. What am I doing to create my destiny? Those are things we want to think about because if we really got focused on that, A lot of our fears, a lot of our uncertainty, a lot of our self-loathing would start to wash away because we become dedicated to something greater than ourselves. Let us hope that everyone that's watching and everyone just generally dedicates themselves to truth, which brings up uh, (laughs) the next little segment, um, which um, I'm going to call God or Mammon. God or mammon? Very interesting, isn't it? This is a continuation of our conversation about the debt ceiling bill. And uh, I like to to say as we ease on into this, I hope you're having a good day. Uh, You know, my days are complicated right now because I'm engaged in uh, a kind of spiritual warfare to demand of the people around me and to demand of myself telling the truth. I mean, and being really truthful—that is really the cornerstone of developing my life, and at least my opinion. You know, it's my opinion. It's my opinion based on, you know, experimentation. And uh, I find myself uh, surrounded by uh, just a lot of lying. I mean, it's really hard to to get to the bottom of things because there's so many layers of. Um, Deception that we're brought up in from you know from a very young age, you know we're 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 inculturated into our our world our culture. We don't have any filter on it when we're two three four five six seven years old. By the time we get a filter on it, we're down the road quite a ways. And but again, it's never too old to grow a set of principles. And I wanted to v- demand that of myself. And when I demand that of myself, I start to expect it in all the people around me, and it spreads. But who I really want to expect it of is our leaders. Now, I've said many times I'm not a Bible thumper, and uh, although I try to make very clear that I'm a believer in God and that I'm trying to understand what God wants of me all the time, Uh, you know, I want this to be the kind of podcast where we can get down on without, you know. Seen it as a preaching situation, because it's not. You know, I'm, uh, I'm pretty loose when it comes to these things. I, I like to throw down, you know, I don't have to hang around with people that are believers. I'm okay hanging around with non-believers. like the dialogue. I like the dialogue. But sometimes you find things in the uh, Bible that just sum it up, just remove it from its biblical context, and think about it intellectually. Here's a good one. No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and Mammon. Okay, that's Matthew 6:24. Look it up. Matthew's fantastic. The uh, Webster dictionary definition of Mammon is that wealth, wealth regarded as an evil influence or false object of worship and or devotion. I want to read it again because it typifies almost everybody's experience. Mammon, wealth regarded as an evil influence or false object of worship and devotion. And if you think about, you know, our politics, our media, I mean, people don't talk about anything spiritual. Everything's about money. Now, sometimes it's disguised. We're talking about inflation deficit, debt, GDP, you know, uh, budgets. You know, our focus as a country is really almost exclusively on the cash. We're really focused on the cash, okay? And we as people must be also focused on the cash or our leaders and our government would not be so uni-la- uni unifocused. I was trying to say, I was going to say so uniparty focused on the money. But the money is what it seems to be all about. And um, I think that's a real strange starting point. And part of the Professor Penn podcast goal is to reintroduce the issues and the techniques and the focus on the world of the spiritual, the world of faith, so that we can get a little bit more balanced. You know, my theory is we're very unbalanced. We're very unbalanced in the material. Really, are, and it's a weird kind of unbalance because on the one hand, intellectually, we're completely balanced into this material uh, money thing. You know, the yin-yang, I mean, you know, your brain, it could be thinking about matters of the spiritual or matters of the material. We're really over focused on the matters of the material intellectually or in our thinking, but physically we become completely divorced from our physicality. so the thing is just a stew pot of being screwed up really we're spiritual beings, mind, body, and soul okay that's just that's what it is we need to find that but in our in our political life and particularly relative to this debt ceiling thing uh you know, this is, um, this is something we really need to sort through. We're not thinking about these issues in a very balanced way. But I must say before I get there, I have to pause just for a second. And I do want to read something to start the day. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech, or of the press, or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. You know, we read this, it's not quite as soaring as we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, And that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. You know, it's hard to hit a high point like that with every sentence. But this is a really critical idea the freedom of speech. I'm able to speak to you, but my freedom of speech is being abridged. And uh, there's a lot of ways to abridge people's freedom of speech. One way is to shoot them. You know, typically over the history of the world, before we had this digital technology, if you wanted to quiet somebody down, most of the time they just killed them, called assassination. We talked about our four martyrs, John Kennedy, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, and Robert Kennedy, the four martyrs, the four change agents. Their ideas were stilled. their ability to speak was stilled because of an assassin's bullet. And as we move in and starting to talk about some of these ideas and try to work together to get down to the truth, we recognize that today, because everything's a 2.0 or a 3.0 or a 4.0, the power structure does not have to turn people into martyrs. It could actually drag them into the mud by accusing them over and over again, indicting them over and over again. Now, of course, we in the movement need to have our conduct and our discourse as refined as we can, because why should we give these people an easy shot? Well, that's one side of the equation. There's another group of people that say, you know what, I'm not making any concessions to the, p- these people. <laughs> one friend of mine calls them, let them try to straight shame me. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to deal with this. But the, the, the fundamental piece is our, our freedom of speech is being abridged. And one of the things that I've noticed since I put out the uh, piece on the debt ceiling lie to me where I was criticizing the Republican Party for passing legislation that gave the Biden administration an unlimited ability to borrow until uh, January 1st, 2025, is I have been very heavily attacked for criticizing a Republican Party leader you know almost as i was really told i don't have that kind of free speech so while the constitution the constitution enshrines my right to freely express the parties both of them i've realized are institutions of suppression and that is why we're in this mess today because ideas and change and evolution are being suppressed by a uniparty that wants to maintain the skim, the status quo, the focus on the money. That's what we're talking about, the focus on the money, because that's where all these people have their focus. When we go to the store and the only thing we care about is the price we pay, that's that's another symptom of that focus on the money. In other words, when we only care about the cost instead of the value, cost and value, when we only focus on cost, we're Marxists. Hey, we've entered into Marxist world where everything is about the money. That's what Marxism is, a complete reduction of our entire life down to the material. Oh, sounds a little, sounds a little, uh, <laughs> think about it. No spiritual. It's just the cash. History doesn't matter. Like my uh, antagonist in the Republican Party, whose name I'm not going to mention. History doesn't matter. Another Marxist, he doesn't know he's a Marxist. And sometimes we don't know where our ideas are coming from, which makes us what the Marxists call useful idiots. And what we want to avoid, you and I, I don't want to be a useful idiot for a globalist ideology that's focused on Marxism and humanism and eugenics. I'm just not going to do it. So guess what? I've been able through my daily ritual through my whole life to reach a point that the truth has set me free. And I'll tell you how I know it? People hate me cuz I'm telling the truth. And if you tell the truth, people are going to hate you too. And that's why we don't tell the truth cuz that hatred, that censor, that barrier, we're afraid of it. So, the Professor Penn podcast is about spreading out the, the will, the strength to tell the truth to your brother, to your sister, to your mother, your father, to your co-workers and your friends, we have to start spreading the truth and we have to do it in a hurry because these people are way out in front of us. I mean, they're out in front of us by, oh, I don't know, 150, 160 years. They've been working well and that's just the human part of it, the spiritual part of it. That's over my pay grade, that game. But the human part, which they write down what they think and what they want to do, that's since Galton and Spencer and Darwin in the 1880s. So we're way behind the curve here. That means every person, every human that loves God, country, and family is going to have to be working on this 24-7. You know, I'm not happy about it. I'm not happy about it. I would like to go to a ball game. I'd like to sit in a lawn chair and watch the grass grow watch my kids run around in in the front yard. But I can't do it. I can't do it because I know where they're going with this thing. They're taking our free speech away. They're abridging it through lawfare. I'm not going to get into it today, but we're seeing how this lawfare is being used to silence people. They don't have to shoot them. They have to censor them with lawfare and take them out. And then how the parties are suppressing free thinking and free speech for the party membership, and then the media controlling the message. So we got a lot of work to do, we the people, to get out there and talk to everybody that we know as lovingly but as accurately and with power, the power of truth, so we can get out of this mess we're in before it gets any worse. And it's getting worse every day. Let's watch a little bit how it's getting worse. Back to this mammon idea. Tanner, can you play this piece on Turkey? Very informative about how the money works when it gets out of control.
1: Nearly a quarter of Turkish gross domestic product is from the manufacturing sector. Small family businesses like this factory that makes door frames are at the heart of the economy. But despite economic growth, workers like Mustafa are struggling to make ends meet. He came out of retirement just to put food on the table.
2: I see prices at the markets increase every day. If something costs 40 lira or $1.90 today, it becomes 50 lira or $2.40 next week. It's impossible not to be affected by inflation. Our president found a solution for global food security by convincing several nations to agree on a grain deal. But food prices in our own country are increasing. As Recep Tayyip
1: Erdogan begins another five-year term, People are hoping for better prospects. His non-traditional policies are based on ensuring economic growth, whatever the cost. The result? High inflation, reduced foreign investment and a shortage of US dollars, causing a widening current account deficit. Now, analysts say a devaluation of the lira may be coming, which will mean further burden on the economy. In 2021, the government decided to protect Turks against currency devaluations. That's resulted in over $100 billion that are now owed by the government to corporations and households. But none of these challenges are new for Turkey, which has dodged worse economic crises in the past. Natural gas deposits found in the Black Sea three years ago are worth an estimated $1 trillion. And analysts say that, combined with Erdogan's re election, is likely to stabilize the economy. Erdogan will have more tools to better run the economy in his new term, with energy resources, high-tech production and qualified people running the economy. Turkey is the third largest developing economy this year. Those include the launch of the so-called Century of Turkey, a roadmap of programs, projects and targets, as the country prepares to mark its 100th anniversary in October. But making that vision a reality, hinges on resolving multidimensional challenges. To address inflation, the government increased salaries. That means higher costs for manufacturers. We have been experiencing a dire economic situation since the pandemic, but especially in the past year. We have a shortage of skilled workers such as welders. The government has increased the minimum wage and this has put pressure on us. We're asking the government to support employers, otherwise we're going to lose our competitive edge in the international market and the spark needed to reignite the economy will come from actions not words. Ankara.
0: I've been to Turkey many times, many, many, many times. I'm one of the few people probably that can say that. If you've been to Turkey get in touch with me. There aren't that many people that have been to Turkey. And uh, when I went there I have to say the first time I was rather uh, nervous about it being an American citizen uh, going to Turkey. And I have to say that Turks were very hospitable uh, hosts and uh, very warm. Their food culture is fantastic. Uh, It's a a country that has the potential to thrive. But there was a couple things there that the, um, the peace brought forward. Number one, COVID got in the way of their economic development plans and really set them back. And two, President Erdogan went on such a tear to develop his country, he's gotten out over his skis. And the inflation rate there is, it's mind-boggling because what they've been doing is printing money and printing money. But, you know, they're not the United States of America. They're not the world reserve currency. So they really have a problem when they print money. And that inflation rate there could be as much as, well, it's definitely over 100% a year. So what they're trying to do is work their way out of this. Uh, and I, I appreciate the, the positive outlook that was expressed in the piece. However, they cannot be competitive to sell into the United States market anymore because their inflation rate is so high. So what it is is a very protected economy. Nothing gets in there. Everything that's sold in Turkey is produced in Turkey. It's a very nationalist economy. It's an interesting model, isn't it? And how they get out of this is, uh, well, the jury's out on it. They call it, uh, well, it's Turkey's own economic model. It's Erdoganomics. Generally, it's believed that the solution for high inflation rate is raise the interest, and that'll calm the economy down and bring the inflation rate under control. And that's what you do if you have a vibrant, you know, political system that could lead to a change of leadership. When you're, you know, he's sure, he President Erdogan just won re-election. I think he's been in power for 20 years. He's pretty sure he's going to keep winning. So his goal is develop his country, and he's actually reducing the interest rate, which is stimulating the inflation rate because the money supply keeps expanding with low interest. Basically, he's making his people pay for this expansion. There's about 60 million Turks. When the first thing I learned in Turkey from a friend of mine, Agus. Agus told me every Turkish male is ready to die for Turkey today. That's the first thing he said to me. So he was making a statement. And I think the Turkish people are a very ethnocentric population. And I think they are very dedicated to Turkey. And I think the country has taken a hit so that it can develop its economy and become a manufacturing powerhouse. Uh, But will it work? Boy, the people are suffering. The people are suffering there. Let's look at it when the suffering gets a little bit more. Let's pop on this piece about Zimbabwe.
3: It's not easy being a dictator. For one, there's a lot of other people around you who would love to be you. So you're constantly worrying about staying in power. Navigating the gray area between political rivals and political allies is a total headache. Plus, there's all those pesky people who you're supposed to be in charge of. How to give them as little as possible without inciting rebellion is a never-ending balancing act. Robert Mugabe, the president of Zimbabwe, was facing these problems around 2000. He needed money to bribe his enemies and reward his allies. Unfortunately, he had taxed pretty much everything there was to tax, and his policies had scared away investors. The economy wasn't doing well, and his people were unemployed and hungry. So, where to get the money? Well, one of the perks of running a country is that you get your very own money-making machine, the printing presses. So, in a pinch, you can just print more money, which is exactly what Mugabe did. The newly printed money didn't increase productivity in the Zimbabwean economy, and there was no new investment, so the economy couldn't produce more goods. In effect, you had more money chasing the same goods. More money chasing the same goods meant that the purchasing power of the Zimbabwean dollar fell. You needed more dollars to buy the same stuff as before. In other words, as the newly printed money began flooding the market, prices began to rise. Prices began to increase at a rate of about 50% a year, and that was only the beginning. As prices rose, the government had to print even more money to buy just as many goods as before, and so they did. And that is how things got out of control. The faster prices rose, the more money the government printed. And the faster prices rose, a feedback loop. By 2001, prices were rising at a rate of 100% per year. By 2002, 200% per year. 2003, 600% per year. By 2006, prices were rising at over 1000% per year. And it cost 417 Zimbabwean dollars to buy toilet paper. No, not per roll. $417 per sheet. Money was devaluing so quickly that the money you had in the morning would be worth quite a bit less by the evening. So people were trying to get rid of currency as soon as they got it. Zimbabweans became millionaires, but unfortunately, a million Zimbabwe dollars might buy you a chicken, if you were lucky. And still the government kept printing money, and in higher and higher denominations. $1 million notes, $100 million, $10 billion, $100 billion notes. In 2008, prices started rising by thousands of percent a month, and the government started printing $100 trillion notes. At the height of this feedback loop, prices were increasing at an astronomical rate of 7.6 billion percent a month. And one U.S. dollar would get you, well, we're not sure how to say it, but this many Zimbabwean dollars. By the end of 2008, the Zimbabwean dollar had effectively ceased to exist, and Mugabe had no choice but to legalize transactions in foreign currencies. The Zimbabwe hyperinflation was over. Hyperinflations have occurred in other countries such as Yugoslavia in 1994, China in 1949, and Germany in 1923. As in Zimbabwe, these hyperinflations were caused by governments that were desperate for cash, but with few means to raise funds, except the printing presses. The Zimbabwe hyperinflation also illustrates a more general principle that we will be exploring and testing in greater detail in upcoming videos. And that is, inflation is caused by increases in the supply of money.
0: Thank you, Tanner. Uh, I think it's obvious why I played this, because we've just passed a debt ceiling bill. When I say we, that's we the people. You and me. Let's not blame it on these Folks, we elect, because unless we hold them accountable, they're going to do whatever they want to do. They're somewhat disconnected from, from me and from you, from my needs of my family. They have a completely different game they're playing. The game I'm playing is, I want to be well. I want you to be well. I want my society to be well, well-being. They're playing a completely different, mammon-focused game. They're not focused on the spiritual well-being of the people. In fact, they stand right up and lie to us wholesale, and we want to be lied to. That's how far we are from being well. Accepting lies would be a symptom of being unwell. That's why I did that piece, you know, Lie to Me, which has touched off this firestorm here in Minnesota. It's great, isn't it? It's great to be hated for telling the truth. I love that. Anyhow, moving along. That's the picture. That's the model. And it's not the first time it's happened. It happened in, in the Weimar Republic in 23. It happened in Yugoslavia. It happened in China. You know, in China, 1949, the Chinese people that are alive now, they remember this hyperinflation. Guess what? The Chinese have the highest saving rate in the world, and mostly it's in gold and real estate. They don't trust that paper currency. It's not for them. They have gold. It's the highest, it's the percentage of gold ownership per capita is the highest in China of any country in the world. And everybody's buying real estate. They're buying real estate so much they created a bubble on the real estate. So the real estate could lose 50% of its value. But they still have, and that's another kind of interesting bit of scam too, as long as I stumbled into it. You know, in China, you really don't own the real estate. The government does and you get a lease for 99 years when you buy real estate. Oh, that would be called communism. No private ownership of real estate. You know, they got a kind of a... The same thing's working here, let me tell you. We own private real estate here, but we pay real estate taxes. Anybody realize what would happen if the government raised the taxes higher than we could afford to pay on the real estate, and they had to take it back from you? Who'd own the real estate then? Interesting, isn't it? Kind of sophistry. You don't really own the real estate if you have to pay taxes on it. You only own it as long as you can pay the taxes. Whoa, there's a scam, isn't it? Got to start getting through these isms. A lot of these isms are meant to just screw us up, turn our brains into confetti. No, the real issue here is what are we serving? What is the most important thing in human life? At least we need balance. Right now, we're overbalanced to this concept of wealth as an object of false worship and devotion. Think about what you think about. Think about what I think about. We're thinking about the cash all the time. And the tighter they make it, the more we're going to think about it. No cash, no food. Unless you're a farmer. Unless you're a farmer. And who wants to be a farmer? Hey, some people do. And guess what? Today, when they got up to milk the cows, They weren't worrying about the same things that you and I are probably worrying about. Interesting, isn't it? Remember the Meek Shall Inherit the Earth? Back to to this Zimbabwe scam. Just as an interesting sidebar. The British South Africa Company of Cecil Rhodes, that would be of the Rhodes Scholarship, you know that people like Bill Clinton have, a Rhodes Scholarship, demarcated the Rhodesian region in 1890 when they conquered... Mashana Land and later in 1893, Matababili Land. After fierce resistance by Matababili people, and that was known as the first Matababili War, the company ruled the country. The company, not a government, the company ruled the 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 Cecil Rhodes British South Africa Company ruled Rhodesia until 1923, when it was established as a self governing British colony. Here's that British colonial business model that slaves and, you know, slavery, drugs, piracy, you know, that we talked about it. Here it is. They actually took a country. In 1965, the white minority government unilaterally declared independence as Rhodesia. And that country lasted until April 1980 when it became Zimbabwe. In other words, the colonial enterprise and the system of racism that was part of it was overthrown in 1980, and that's when this Robert Mugabe took over. He was a freedom fighter, very quickly became a dictator, and ended up having to print all that money, and his reign ended in 2017 because he didn't properly steward his country, and the well-being of the people was diminished, not enhanced. So they got rid of them. Something that we need to think about. The will of the people always prevails. Let us remember that we don't like what we're seeing. But we have not generated sufficient human will to overthrow this system, this system of slavery, drugs, and piracy, which infected the Rhodesia and then the Zimbabwe. Hey, guess where we got it? Where did our system come from? Weren't we also a British colony? Weren't we all? Yes, we were. Where did our business model come from? Hey, now we're going to be getting down to some root causes. When we start to think this way, where do our ideas come from? Where do our institutions come from? What are we reproducing here? We're not reproducing a balanced life where there's a spiritual and a material and they're in balance. No, what we're reproducing is a materially focused world where a group of rulers, a small group, manipulate the entire human population for their own personal material benefit. And they're very good at it. And that's what we're waking up from. And when you stand up and say, here's the truth, they're going to call you every name in the world. But I personally, my eye statement is, I want to die on my feet. I don't want to die telling lies. I don't want to die on my knees. And I think as that spirit spreads, the spirit of telling the truth, we don't need to argue with people. just have to tell the truth. Some of these people are not going to be convinced by the truth. That's because they're either stupid, lots of them. I think the majority are just dumb. They never thought this through. And, you know, at a certain age, when you reach a certain age, you're so rigid you're not going to be able to think it through. I mean, I noticed this even in myself. You know, you as you as you age, you become less willing to try new things. I have to fight against that. That's why I'm doing the Professor Penn Podcast. It's entirely new for me. I'm getting a whole new set of skills here. I like that challenge. So you got the dumb, the rigid, but you got the really ultra-malevolent in there, the ultra-malevolent. And then I've met some nice people that just, they, you know, path- path to hell is just paved with their good intentions. They didn't think it through either. They really you could put them over in the, the dumb category, actually, if you want to make it simple and just, you know, reduce the equation. So, you know, in the law, ignorance of the law is no excuse. Ignorance of the law is no excuse. It is incumbent upon us as American citizens to learn the truth. That's what it is to be self-governing. If you don't want to self-govern, govern, You just buy somebody else's lies, and I don't want to do that. I want to self-govern. I am self-governing. I want you to be self-governing. Many of you are, and I want to become increasingly more self-governing. I'm providing for my own food as much as I can. I provide for my own health as much as I can. I provide for my own cash as much as I can. Hey, that's moving the ball in the right direction. I'm not saying I'm, I'm far from being where I want to be but I'm moving in the right direction. Let's all get on the right side of the football and push that ball down the field in the right direction. But, you know, that Zimbabwe situation is, there I go with that kind of nonlinear talking. Sorry. (laughs) I have to laugh at myself. Lift my own spirits. That Zimbabwe story is a cautionary tale for what the U.S. government is doing to we, the people. Our U.S. government has the printing presses. I think the Federal Reserve has 8 or $9 trillion on its balance sheet of completely created fictitious money. I mean, it's just BS money. They printed it, put it into circulation to make up the gap, and now we owe real sweat and blood back to them with interest to pay it back. Oh, that's that's slavery in the British model, slavery, drugs, and piracy. That's debt slavery. We're going to keep talking about it. I know it's complicated. I'm going to try to make it as simple as I can. But when they print that money, just put your arm in a shackle. Put your kids into prison, debtor's prison, your grandchildren, your great-great-grandchildren. We don't need this. Where Where was it written down we have to be in debt? Why don't we have money in the bank as a country like China does? they got so much foreign currency reserve, they don't know what to do with it. Why are we in debt? Who came up with the idea that we have to be in debt? Come on. We're living our lives that way. And that's because our government is ruled by a bunch of globalists who are materialists, and all the money is going uphill, and all the crappy policies are coming downhill. You know I'm trying not to swear today because I know some of my my viewers and listeners are offended when I swear. No, actually, actually, telling a lie is far more offensive than a swear word, but I don't want to alienate anybody unnecessarily. So I'm trying to modify myself because there's no reason for me to swear. I don't have to do that. I want to get them by telling the truth. Okay, so here we are with this situation where we passed this this debt ceiling issue, we're printing money, we're borrowing money, let's see where we go with this. Let's listen to this piece, piece from former presidential candidate Steve Forbes.
2: Will the Chinese yuan replace the dollars the world's most important currency? Beijing is working hard to make that happen. Hello, I'm Steve Forbes, and this is What's Ahead, where you get the insights you need to better navigate these turbulent times. Chinese strongman Xi Jinping wants his country to replace the U.S. as the globe's superpower. A crucial initiative for this is supplanting the global role the U.S. dollar currently plays, de-dollarization he calls it. Most trade is denominated in dollars and most reserves in central banks around the world are dollars. The greenback is also the primary reserve asset for many international agencies. So eyebrows have risen with special arrangements China has made using the Yuan. In a recent deal, China's state-owned China National Offshore Oil Corporation is paying Yuan to France's giant Total Energies for liquefied natural gas. China and Saudi Arabia are closing in on an agreement whereby China would pay for oil in Yuan rather than dollars. China's pressuring other parties when it can to use the Yuan. China is the biggest direct foreign investor in Africa and is now a major investor in other parts of the world. It is rivaling the IMF and the World Bank and loans to developing countries. Now, many politicians, pundits, and policymakers question whether the dollar status as the world's reserve currency can be maintained. Our economy has floundered for most of this century with growth rates far below our historic average. Our public sector debts are ballooning as wasteful spending remains unchecked. Our central bank is dangerously clueless about inflation. So is the dollar doomed? Will the yuan become the preferred international currency? The answer is no. Countries like Saudi Arabia are harboring deep diplomatic grievances and concerns about our blundering foreign policy. And it will do yuan-denominated deals to express dissatisfaction with Washington. Brazil's new socialist president is doing it to vent his animosity towards the U.S. France's petulant president is pushing his preposterous pretensions to be a big deal... Okay, big Tanner, global that's maker.
0: The point here is he said no. Let's go on to the next fossil. This piece from Warren Buffett.
4: Over the past few years the Federal Reserve has telegraphed that they intend to monetize the debt by printing trillions of dollars, even as they insist that they're fighting inflation. Already Other major economies in the world, such as China, Saudi Arabia, and Brazil, are moving away from the dollar in anticipation of this. My question is, are we likely to face a time in the future when the US dollar is no longer the global reserve currency? How is Berkshire prepared for this possibility? And what can we do, as American citizens, to attempt to shelter ourselves from what's beginning to look like the beginnings of de-dollarization.
0: Well, um, I I should ask you to come up here and answer some questions. I mean, <laughs> 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 the, uh, it's very interesting. I mean, we are the reserve currency. And I see no option for any other currency to be the reserve currency, and and uh, uh, I think that. That's good else. Okay, that's Warren Buffett. You know, I'm playing this because we got two old men, Steve Forbes and Warren Buffett. Why are they respected? They're very ultra-rich. I mean, you know, I don't know of any spiritual contributions these people have ever given our us as the American people. I don't know about any artistic contributions. These people are rich, 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 and Steve Forbes He inherited it from his grandfather to his father to him. So he's kind of a a trust fund baby. Very old now. Buffett's old. Well, what a surprise. They never see things changing. They see that the world that they lived in is going to keep on going. They don't see the threats. Now, my personal opinion is they really mean this, okay? They do not see a world in which the dollar status as the reserve currency is overthrown they don't see it they do not see it or possibly they know it's about to happen and they want us you know to be stupid so they lie to us i mean that is also possible particularly in well both of them both of them don't know what's in their head i just know what they're saying but these guys are experts in capital markets so either i'm wrong Or they're wrong, we both can't be right. Because what I see coming is de dollarization if the United States continues on the path of what? Lying to everybody all the time. How can you be the holder of everybody's cash when you live by lies? I mean, come on. Are you gonna let are you gonna borrow money to me if I'm a liar? I mean, if you can't trust me to pay you back, why would you why would you lend me any money? And in essence, everybody that's holding dollars is dependent on the United States to run its affairs properly. Otherwise, they're holding trillions of dollars of uh, firework, kindling. It's kindling. It's not, there's no value in a piece of paper. That is an ideological concept that says there's value here. And the value that is really there is the life, the well-being, and the productivity of the American people. And they've got us saddled up right now to pay back $32 trillion. And these dingbats in the Congress just gave our government, which is, you know, us, an unlimited. They can run that up to $50 trillion. In the next year and a half, they can do whatever they want to do. We have no say in it. So, you know, these, these old fossils are saying, you know, things are, they always have been, and they always will be. Doesn't that sound a little strange to you? It always was, it is, and it always will be. There's only one force in the world that can make that claim. Everything else is changing, changing all the time. I mean, we had the British Empire, we had the Spanish Empire, we had the Egyptian Empire. We've had all these empires. They start, they rise, they fall, and they fall in a very predictable fashion. They fall the same way every time. It's called the base and the currency. So as I talk it through with you, I think these two people know what's going on, and here's what they know. The dollar has a value as long as you and I believe it has a value. But on the day you wake up and you know you're holding paper in your pocket, it has no value. What are we going to do about it? Stop digging the hole deeper, Representative Emmer. Balance the budget. Balance the budget. Let we the people pay this bill down. Don't make it deeper. Stop. Stop. Don't ruin the currency of the country. Don't take all my money away. I've been working my whole life for the tiny little money I have that I want to use to take care of my kids and my family. And you're going you're gonna to take that away from me and saddle me up to a life of work, and I can never pay off? You turn me into a debt slave? No, that's not America. That would be called the colonial model. Slavery, drugs, piracy we got to get off of this. We're sick at the fundamental business model of the country, the fundamental business model. So when I go before my own party as an officer of the party and question this business model, I get hatred. I'm going to read the letter I, that was sent out on the next podcast. It's stunning. I mean, these people want a complete suppression of the truth. I'm going to call that bit Nazi Social Club. That's just a preview. Maybe it'll bring you back on the next show. It'll be a good one. But this whole problem with this these old people, and and you know, I got gray hair, but I'm young in my heart. My heart is young, okay? You can still fool me by telling me a lie because I'm going to believe you're telling me the truth. That's a choice. I do have to be wise. I don't want to get fleeced by these people anymore. But I am going to tell you I want to maintain my spiritual integrity, I'm not going to get perverse to deal with perversity. I'm going to get more faithful to deal with perversity, work on telling the truth more intensely, and see where it takes me. Hey, it's an experiment. This is the experiment that I've chosen in my own life, and I believe that if all of us chose to get involved in politics and tell the truth, hey, we'd get someplace in a hurry, so please get involved any way you can tell the truth so we have this this economic problem and it underlies uh, well really it underlies it underlies, uh, it underlies as a symptom of the whole spiritual sickness that our our, our country is going under and um, I did I did do that lie lie to me podcast and uh, it did go up the, the line in the party and uh, a senior leader actually put it out to foul tens of thousands of people, just like he said he was going to do. And boy, did that cause a firestorm. That caused a firestorm. Maybe it was because it was the first time that from within the party in this state, Minnesota, I know it's happening in other states, but for the first time in this state, the party itself is starting to self-reflect on what's going on. Self-reflection. Remember, they don't want us to self-reflect. They just want us out knocking on doors and raising money and, well, they just want us knocking on doors and raising money. That's what we're supposed to do. And they're very upfront about it. They tell us, you guys don't do politics. Leave that for the smart people. What you're supposed to do is support and elect Republican candidates. Okay, great. That's just great. And in a perfect world, it's a great strategy. Unfortunately, it's not a perfect world. We disagree with each other, and the suppression of that disagreement does not make the disagreement go away. It's just destroying the movement. And when I say the movement, I mean the Republican movement. In other words, what I'm saying is the Republican Party has been taken over essentially by an ideology, which is that British business model, slavery, drugs, and piracy. But really, the Republican Party, if you go back and look at it, historically, who formed it, Lincoln, in the 1850s, it was formed for an extremely spiritual purpose, which was to free the people from the scourge of slavery. You can't get any more uh, critical of the British uh, colonial model than to say, I'm taking out the cornerstone, which is slavery. Now, the fact that it got replaced with debt slavery is a whole other argument that we got to work through. But the Republican Party took the first step, and President Lincoln brought the, the Republican Party together expressly and specifically as a rejection of the know-nothings and the Whigs, because they were into cutting a deal with the Democrats. They were okay with slavery, because these people were racists, Right. They were racist, they were anti-Catholic, they were anti-immigration, and here's what they thought. We're going to take care of the Catholics, the Irish, the Italians, the Jews. We're going to screw those people up and keep them out of our country, and we're going to let the Southern racists take care of them slaves, okay? They had a deal going. That would be called the Uni Party. That would be the Know-Nothings and the Whigs and the Democrats. They had a nice little thing going on here. It was kind of a shell game. We'll take care of our undesirables. You take care of your undesirables. And I'll meet you at the bank and we'll cash the checks together. That was their deal. I'll meet you at the bank and we'll cash the checks together. That's who those people were. And Lincoln stood up and said, nah, nah. He flipped the tables over. He said, we're not living like this. We're not making our country on the backs of slavery. So the root of the Republican Party is about telling the truth. The root of the Republican Party is about setting the people free. And it's not just about setting the slaves free. Because if you're an enslaver, you're also a slave to slavery. And that was Lincoln's great insight. That was the great insight of republicanism. That if you have slavery in your country, whether you're a slave or a slaveholder, you're captured by a very evil business model. And he went about getting that party started and he got elected, and he followed through on his promises. And of course, there are many people, and I'm thinking of this one activist, there's a lot of criticism about Lincoln. Lincoln did a lot of uh, the ends justify the means kind of a deal. And you know, that's just a failure of Lincoln. It's not a failure of the idea of freedom. It's not a failure of the idea of, of truth. It's just in the implementation, as I do, as you do, as Lincoln did he fell somewhat short of his complete and total potential. But the, the bedrock of what he was doing, liberating this country from the scourge of the British colonial model, now that was American. He was an American president with an American policy. And let's get back to that. Let's, as the American people, not in terms of Democrat and Republican, but as the American people, let's really look at this ideology of freedom, and of self-governance that came forth through Lincoln and revive it because now we got something to talk about. But, of course, when you go into the Republican Party, where I am as an officer, you run into about half the party. Uh, they're Democrats. They just don't know it. They're globalists. They just don't know it. They don't believe in God. Maybe they know it. Maybe they say the belief that they believe in God, but their actions and their beliefs, what they state as their beliefs and their actions are not in harmony. There's a word for that in the Federal Register. It's called a Timken notice. That's when the results do not equal the legal ruling. There's a breakdown between the spirit and the material. You know, I can say I believe in God all I want to, but to the extent my actions are in uh, antagonism with that, hey, Let's look at our actions. And really, to to wax philosophically for a second, that's the essential difference between modern Christianity and the old Judeo-Catholic root of the whole thing. In Judaism, nobody cares what you say. They care what you do. Sidebar, my mother asked my father. This is a great one. It's kind of a short. My mother asked my father, do you believe in God? because my mother I think was an atheist and she was picking out her partner. And my, my, my dad had a very coy answer because he loved my mother and he grew up very religious. He said, watch how I act. So he didn't have to give an answer. He just said, watch my actions. That's very Jewish, that's very Catholic, works. And we got into this thing where it's about faith. Okay, it's faith and works. I mean, I'm not gonna delve into this today. But one of the things that matters in politics, taking it out of the, well, can we even take it out of the spiritual? No, we can't. It's really not what we say. Let's watch what these people do. So when they say it's the biggest budget cut in American history, when in fact it has the potential to be the biggest increase in debt in, in American history, hey, right there, we're not telling the truth. And we're going to have to tell the truth if we're going to heal this country all I'm asking of my party and of myself and all the people around me and my elected, everybody, let's start looking for and telling the truth. Let's start looking for together as an American family and let's agree about what the truth is. Because as I said, there's four street corners. So getting to a closer version of the truth takes a lot of work. And I invite Congressman Emmer to come on the, channel with me it would be novel if he did we could sit down and hash it out because i'd love to learn from him i'm sure he knows a lot about what happened behind the closed doors and i'd like to hear what it is because it may justify this entire scam because then the scam's going to be hey we really didn't want to tell the american people that we're going to war we're not ready for that yet but don't you think congressman that i get a say in whether or not my son gets killed in a war in the Ukraine. I have a military-age male who's my son. Don't you think I get a chance to weigh in on that? Could we talk about it before we go to war, which is, you know, as it's designated in our founding documents, why are we in a war and we're talking about it afterwards? No. This is, again, a scam that we, the American people, have been putting up with for A very long time. Remember the main? 1898. Take a look at it. So, you know, this young man put out this piece into the world of the Republican Party, and boy, people got wound up about it. And I've been watching all the feedback, and this is going to be a drama we're going to be coming back to. Hopefully, we can resolve this in a way that moves the party closer to truth because what the party is going to find out is is that there's people as they used to say inside the wire that don't agree with them and instead of saying that these people are wrong bad should never why not listen to these people because here's what the party is saying listen to this scam this is a great scam officers can only support the party and should not criticize either explicitly or implicitly or even by inference any other Republican, because our job is to elect Republicans. But there's already a Republican hierarchy that has a political position. So what they're saying is, don't criticize us, which means nothing ever changes, which means Republicans are going to continue to lose and become the controlled opposition of the globalists, which would mean these people in charge are supporting the global ideology. Do you think there's an argument here? Could we get this out on the table and talk about it? Please? I'm asking you very sincerely. I know you're listening to me. Instead of doing what you've always done, which is reflexively reached to be, you know, propagandists like Nazis, you must think like we think. Instead of doing that, because it is a So anti-American. It's so against. I'm going to read it again so you can hear it. You might not be familiar with it anymore. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. Well, that'd be like humanism, secular humanism, a religion. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. Yet everything, you know what Goebbels said? Look him up if you don't know who he is. He said that laws that make hating Jews illegal is the end of the Jews. Let's think about this. This is the kind of stuff we need to think about. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech. If that is our Constitution, why cannot we not speak freely within our own party? That's the first place to have a discussion. And I don't mean an argument. I mean a discussion. Because there's a lot of talent coming into the party now. A lot. People who have never participated. High-end, type AAA people that get things done, that want to make the Republican Party refresh, a new brand, a new product that appeals to the people. Because the Democrat Party is certainly the party of the elitists and the only reason those Democrats don't come out of that party is the Republican Party has not refreshed itself or we are not giving these people permission to come on over. So we have to give these people permission, which means changing our brand and changing our product. And that's what the Press Professor Penn Podcast is engaged in. And I know you don't like it, but maybe if you embraced it, maybe we'd heal this country. Maybe what I'm doing is using our political process to get us out of the mess we're in. Are you going to tell the people that you don't want to get out of this mess, that you're printing all this money because you worship mammon and you know the currency is going to be destroyed and we're going to get a digital currency and that this is all being done to take us to war, both in the Asian theater and in the European theater, another world war? Is that what you're all about? I want you to tell the people we're heading into World War III and you're taking all of our money away to pay for it. Get up on the stage and let's talk about it. Because if you can justify to the American people why this is a good idea, that we're all going to be poor so we can have another global war, if you can tell the people why this is important, and you can prove to them and make them convinced of it, then you win the argument. But why are you hiding? Why don't you come out and actually talk about it? Okay. This is what Minnesota politics is all about today. We're going to start talking about telling the truth and bringing this argument forward wherever it takes us. And we're going to do it with love. We're going to do it with truth. And we're going to do it with the hope that we can talk to people and we can make some progress. Because right now, you know, we're kind of stuck. We're all, hey, you know what? This country's been stuck since 1973. And that's not an accident, right? And we're getting progressively more stuck. We now have an indictment of a president. Why don't we indict presidents? Why don't we do it? Because it polarizes our political process and creates hatred. That's why we've never done it. That's why why they do it in other countries. Because when you polarize people, you can control them. This is a very British concept. You can look it up. It's actually in Wikipedia. It's called Divide and Conquer. It's in Wikipedia. Look it up. It's actually a strategy. It's not an accident. What I'm saying to you is we live in a world where we believe things happen by accident. But most of the things are happening very systematically, and they give us, the American people, the illusion of choice. We don't have choice. We're on an assembly line. And I am just see it now, and I'm going to stand up and talk about it. I'm going to tell the truth. People are going to say I'm crazy. They're going to say, I'm this and I'm that. Go ahead. It doesn't change the truth. You can bring up every illegitimate, incorrect thing I've done in my life. I'm a man. I've made mistakes. That doesn't discredit the ideas. Let's stop discrediting ideas by saying that to have an idea, you have to be perfect. Now, there's another scam that's really going on along here. If you're not perfect, you can't have an idea. In other words, if we don't like your ideas, we'll use your human, your humanity against you to silence you. That's really nice, isn't it? That means anybody can get silenced. Or as they've said, show me the man, I'll find you a crime. Hey, that's not very insightful. That's just being aware of the human condition. In the meantime, in the backdrop of all this Sturm und Drang here in Minnesota, and it is, and we're not going to back down. What we're really talking about is war. What we're really talking about is war. War. That's piracy. Slavery, debt slavery, drugs, the Affordable Care Act, drugs, $1.5 trillion a year, drugs, and piracy. Those are the things that we're discussing. And the, the effect of that business model on the American people which is really unwellness. That's why this is about the politics of well-being. How do we increase the well-being of the people? Well, I don't think it's through war. Now, I'm not saying there isn't times when there's a time to fight, a righteous and divine war. That means the reason you're going to war is spiritually correct. We're not going to go to war if it was up to me, my vote. We're not going to war to win a conflict over who's in charge of slavery, drugs, and piracy, like the five families of the mafia. Every so often there has to be a bloodletting to get rid of the bad blood that's built up. You know, you saw it in The Godfather. Oh, every 10 years or so we have to have a war because it gets rid of the bad blood. Actually, in our situation, we have continuous wars because that's the business model. And all they're fighting over is not a more righteous and divine orientation of governance to bring forth well-being for the people. What they're fighting for is who's running the game? Who's getting the biggest share of the gain? Who's getting the biggest share of the pie? Who's getting the biggest share of the ill-gotten gains? Who's in charge of the skim room? Who's in charge of the count? That's what they're fighting about. And that would be the United States government and the British and the Europeans, that would be the globalists. And they're 2 near ne'er-do-well traitors because they wanted these people on the team. That would be the Russians and the Chinese. They broke off, and they're doing their own thing now. They said, you guys, thank you very much for the help, but you're not running it. We're running it. And when we run it, we know that you're so into the cash that we can buy you off. And that's what's going on in our country today. We're all getting bought off with Marxism. A little Marxism here, a little Marxism there, a little Marxism everywhere. And guess what? Pretty soon you're Marxist. Like a bill that allows the government to borrow in, you know, with an unlimited checkbook. We're going to wake up, and we're not going to be able to pay the bill back. And you know who's collateral is backing up that debt? <laughs> it's yours. Boy, I hope a lot of silk, thing, silk stocking Republicans are watching because they're trying to get a beat on me, I want you to take out your phone, and I want you to look up your Charles Schwab account, and you're going to look at all that money's in that account. You know, isn't that great? I know you can do that. You can just punch in your Charles Schwab numbers or your Fidelity numbers, and there's all that money sitting on that screen. And don't you feel safe with all that money on that? You know what that is? That's a bunch of X's and O's. That's a pretty picture. That's not wealth. That's a bullshit story. If they pull that off, you're going to look up on there one day and it's going to go. Oh, where did all that go? It's going to go away to pay for the war. So if you're a silk stocking Republican and you're all for this war in the Ukraine, there's a little bit of a tension, a polarity of opposites here. On the one hand, is your uh, unquestioning faith in the U.S. military industrial complex. And in Republicanism, as you see it, you believe in that. We have to free the Ukrainians. We have to protect their freedom. On the other hand, you got that cash in your Fidelity account. I don't know if anybody's told you this, but these two things are in conflict. You can choose one or you can choose the other, but you're not going to be able to choose both. But I think what they're telling these guys, why they're in on it, I think they're telling them. If things get out of hand, they got a spot in the mountain. I'm talking about the hierarchy of the party, the people that run it. if If the fur really flies, come on, you can come with us. we got a safe haven for you. Just go home to your state and convince everybody that there's no limit on the money and there's no limit on the war and there's no limit on the ambition, and we're the United States of America. We're the greatest country in the world. The, we're the greatest country in history. We're the defenders of truth, justice, and the American way. We're the defenders of democracy. We have to fight for freedom for those Ukrainians. We have to defend their borders. You go home and tell the people that, and if it gets out of hand, we'll send some folks to come pick you up. You're fine. Just go bullshit the people. That's what I think is I don't have any 8 by 10 glossies. Professor Penn's telling you a story. But I can't think of another reason why these people would lie to us like this. Unless they're really dumb. I'm really saying I think they're malevolent. But, hey, I don't know. That's why I want truth commissions. Because if we the people solve this problem, let's not kill these leaders that are lying to us. Let's let them come forward and explain to the American people in exchange for their freedom why they did these things to us. Because right now, They've set up a scenario where at the very least, the debt's going to $35 trillion. Three more trillion. Remember, a trillion goes up 635 miles into the air, $100 bills stacked up back on back. 635 miles. That's a lot of cash. That's 1,800 miles. You know, we keep going like this, the $100 bills are going to go all the way to the moon. Hey, hey, hey. that's a lot of debt. We're not going to pay it back unless we stop right now. Stop borrowing and start creating equity. And uh, you know, they're a lie, you know, it's just a lie. So, you know, it's about war, in my opinion. And uh, this clip is about damn. Now I spell it d-a-m, but really I mean d-a-m-e, like damn, damn, how are they getting away with this? Damn. But I'm gonna not swear. I'm gonna say it's D-A-M. You know, because uh <laughs> One of the interesting things that just happened over in the Ukraine is there was this uh, phenomenal infrastructure that was on the Dnipro River, the beautiful dam. Tanner, can you play this piece uh, of the uh, CBS evacuations underwear and then just play right afterwards the scenes of the flooding?
2: We begin with breaking news from Ukraine, where a major dam and power station have been blown up, forcing the evacuation of thousands of people. Russia and Ukraine blame each other for the attack that has already left at least one nearby town underwater. This happened along the Dnipro River in a part of southern Ukraine that Russia controls. Deborah Pada is in Kharkiv in northeastern Ukraine. Deborah, good morning.
5: Good morning. Well, as you can see by the damage behind me, Kharkiv was also under Russian missile fire once again last night. One of the rockets landed right here in the city center, causing this massive crater. While in the south of Ukraine, the Russian held Kharkiv Dam, was attacked, resulting in what officials in Kiev say is a humanitarian crisis. Drone footage shown on President Zelensky's social media channel revealed the extent of the damage to the Kahofka power plant. The blast smashed through the dam wall, resulting in this massive breach. Water from the Dnipro River is now gushing downstream in the direction of the southern city of Kherson, raising fears of massive flooding in low-lying areas, forcing some residents to evacuate. Shocked locals woke up to the destruction. Everything is getting wiped out on the way, said this man. Zelensky has placed the blame squarely on Russia's shoulders, while the Kremlin has accused Kyiv of blowing it up. The dam is in Russian-occupied territory and is important for the safe running of the Kremlin-controlled Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, which Moscow-backed authorities say is stable for now. The blast follows an uptick in Ukrainian offensive action along the eastern front line as troops push forward, possibly probing for weaknesses in Russia's defense. Overnight, Russian rockets hit Kharkiv damaging homes and businesses and the kremlin once again targeted the ukrainian capital where kiev authorities right, let's cut this 20-
0: off and let's just see what this dam blown up really looked like in the great scheme of things this is very interesting this is what war does let's play this take a look at this here now look at this how would you like to live here they blew this dam up when i say they the dam was in Russian-controlled territory. They're blaming each other. But this is Russia now. They control this. Look what happened to it. Look at this region. How'd you like to get up in the morning to this mess, right? Your city's destroyed. Look at that. Unbelievable. These are scenes, if you're just listening, of a beautiful city with beautiful trees, beautiful structures, completely flooded out because this was built downstream of a dam and the dam's not there anymore. So, you know, this is war, right? This is war. This is what war looks like. looks great on television. It's not your house that's flooded out. But, you know, when you're looking at your Fidelity bank account and you're looking at the war, hey, when the war comes home, not only is your bank account empty, your house might be flooded out. It's not a nice way to live, particularly if you're older. If you're older, kind of like, uh, you know, Warren Buffett and Steve Forbes, Nothing ever changes. You know, this is like this old fossil that told me history doesn't matter. These people suck. They're brainwashing the American people. Now I'm getting down to it because I've had some time to think it through. I have to look at all the all the people at once. I got an old guy saying history doesn't matter. Boy, that sticks in my craw. Doesn't go away. And now I got these two old dudes, Forbes and Buffett, saying, oh, nothing ever changes. You know, history doesn't matter and nothing ever changes. That's the same idea. It's called brainwashing. These people are smart enough. Now, this first guy, he might not be smart enough. I don't know. But these two, Forbes and Buffett, I know they're smart enough to know because the cash proves it. You know, one thing about cash is, you know, if you got a lot of it, it does say you won something. You were playing a game as an artist, and you won the game. That takes a lot of smarts. So they know it. So history doesn't matter, and the dollar's always going to be The World Reserve Currency, same guy. Bang. There you go. Party, Telling me a lie. But let's end on an uplifting note. I started out with the Beethoven Violin Concerto's Cadenza, the Chrysler Cadenza, which, remember, Chrysler did it jazz style. He made it up on the fly. Now we had one person play it. He wasn't really playing jazz. But now I want to play it again by another person, Hilary Hahn, a graduate of the Curtis Institute of Music in Philadelphia. And you're going to hear a difference. In fact, you can go back and listen to two of them. And this is going to show you that even in the world of the spiritual, there is a Darwinist competition. Because one is clearly better than the other. And parts of one is better than parts of the other. But you're going to get to hear another artist interpret the same music in her own jazz fashion. And the next level of it would be if she could just make it up on the fly. She's not there, but she's awfully out there. She's not an Oscar Peterson, but boy, she could be if she wanted to. And I'm encouraging her to do it. Let's go out with this. I want to thank you for joining me again today. We're going to be back soon again. We're going to continue this. This is going to get even more interesting this week, and I hope you're well. I struggled with some stuff this morning, but I'm coming back. I was really kind of iffy. I had a little something bothering me when I showed up this morning, but talking with you, it's uplifted my spirits, strengthened me. I want to thank you for that. I hope I can also strengthen you. And let's go out comparing two cadenzas and see what we can learn about it. Tanner, please proceed.